Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I am here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and today's topic is how to write sex and romance in any genre. But before that, just like we do every week, we're going to talk about our accomplishments. So Holly, go ahead. All right. Um, well, my my three books per week, well, no, not writing three books per week, but my working on three novels per week system is really kicking ass. I am so excited about this. I got my 1,515 plus words in Dead Man's Party. I have Moon and Sun 3 completely outlined now. Uh, and the, I, I know how it ends and the first scene, uh, starts getting written on Tuesday and Tuesday and Wednesday are my days for that. Uh, the wishbone conspiracy, I am through the first fifth of the novel at this point in first draft. It is flying. I'm doing 2000 plus words per day on that on my Thursdays and Fridays. And it is just, man, if I had more time it would be awesome, but I don't. I've, I've got to do this, in, and I'm, I'm running a little long anyway on that. Uh, I have to do this supposedly in an hour per day because that's what my Patreon funding is covering. But uh, I'm cheating a little bit and writing two hours per day on that because it's such fun. Well, that's also your passion project, so it, there's it nothing is. saying you can't work a little bit over on your passion project. Oh, my God. I'm so happy writing it. I'm so, back, so glad to be back to Katie. <laughs> and and she is she uh, Herrig is off doing other stuff right now. So she and uh, Tarko and Wire and um, a Stormrat are getting themselves into some serious shit right now. I and, like Stormrat. Yeah, I do too. I do. And and he showed up in the the uh, Longview Chronicles and. Uh, he is back in this and uh, he keeps he hasn't kind of let me know yet that he wants his own book (laughs) Um, he definitely doesn't get his own series because we have had petitions for that and people who go in that direction are going to get shot I'm saying that loud enough that they can hear me (laughs) (laughs) I would love to read his own book though that would be pretty cool but the problem is with you and the way that you write he might end up demanding his own series yes yes and oh my god between between cadence drake and bailey's irish space station and um all of the stuff that's in the city of furies i just i i have got to rein it in i've got to keep just the the stuff that i've got going going because i love all of those and i have to write them all but i don't need any more (laughs) so and i am now working on lesson 24 of how to write a novel Yay! Yeah, so that too is continuing on schedule and a pace. Your turn. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, let me see. Oh yeah, I have worked on some of the um, cover ideas for po- a possible reboot for one, 
and then um i am wanting to do a couple of portfolio pieces and that's what you sent me mm-hmm. so this is this is just the art stuff so you sent me the briefs uh the example briefs and i want to start that uh either later today or probably monday i am taking two weeks off from writing because i finished the second book <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, and you got to be there for both first draft finishes and the revision finish. No, not the revision finish, but the revised novel submitted. Yes. You got to be there for that, and then I had to... Man, I remember rushing through that just so that I could have said, you know, I did it while Tony was there, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I got it done. And then, yeah, so... The second book is Brock and Angie. So for any of my bug hunters or anybody who had read the first one, they have their own book now. And a lot of the last scenes were summaries because I a lot of them are heavy, a research intensive heavy um, scenes. So I need to look into police procedures and especially like small town versus big town. And um, there is some stuff with Angie that I have to go back when I do the revision and figure out how to fix this and find the antagonist motivation because it turned out to be somebody I was not expecting. So I'm going to have to fix that stuff, figure out what needs to go in because a lot of part of it is so, and I didn't realize I did this on purpose. Um, the antagonist is a very big person, and Angie is a very small person. So even though she tries to fight, he still takes her down. I didn't realize when I was writing, it was kind of like what you said to use your your estrogen, but it's more, it's not quite that. Like if you, okay, so you were talking about using your estrogen to fight. Mm-hmm. Katie does that. Um, I'm not sure if it's that, but it's more using her talents because that's what I was intending was that she was going to use her skills to kind of try to save herself. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to give away too much, but no, don't. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's kind of what happens in the book is she can't physically fight him. She's not a fighter anyway. So she has to use her skills to keep alive for a little bit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really happy about finishing that. But then again, like, it's it so weird. After I finished the first fully revised book, I was so excited, you know, or finished the first draft then finished the first revision and sent it off. All of those firsts, you know, mm-hmm. except for finishing my first draft of a book. I've done that plenty of times. Then when I finished this one, I was happy for a minute or two, you know, I was excited. I texted Tony, I, you know, talked to you. And then I was like, all right, what's next on my to-do list? Yep. (laughs) Yep. That's it. That's, that's, oh my God, that is so it. (laughs) I just couldn't believe I'm like, wait a minute. What what am I a hard seasoned veteran already? What the hell is this? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you, yeah, well, you are a veteran. You have been writing and finishing and publishing stuff for years. Years and yeah. years and years. 
it's the and the fact that you are doing stuff now that you are aiming for commercial publication does not change the fact that finishing something is not a new thing for you yeah so yeah so you're expecting the fact that you're going to submit this to a commercial publisher to be different but it's not the finishing thing is what counts yeah and yeah yeah and then your brain goes okay okay next idea let's go yep yeah so i'm already um i was already plotting some of the third book and it's not I don't, I don't know. It's, it's not what I was expecting already, which is cool. And, um, but it's definitely still the storyline that I want to cover. And, um, so yeah, that was my, my week. I did a lot of art. I did a lot of studies and I, uh, got some of the, (laughs) the, got the book done and got some of the next book planned already. (laughs) Yeah. That is awesome. That, that is, that is a really good week. So we wanted to have this episode, How to Write Sex and Romance in Any Genre, done for the, you know, Valentine's Day thing. But we had an unexpected thing pop up that Holly was really interested in. And by the time I remembered we were supposed to do Valentine's Day, she'd already done the worksheets and already done her show, or was going to do show notes next. And it was like, oh, I can't do that to her. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. So yeah, so this is the episode, How to Write Sex and Romance in Any Genre, um, not just romance. So Holly, go ahead. Okay. Um, we're going to start with the concept that romance and sex are different for everybody. So yeah. uh, you are going to have to figure out your working definition of what is romance and then your working definition of what is sex. And, uh, and then you are going to have to find the people for whom your definition clicks because not everybody can write fiction. No one can write fiction that will connect with everybody. We are way too variable for that. So you are going to then be writing fiction for that you love for your perfect readers. And no matter what clicks with you, that you have people who want to read that. You just have to find them. And that ain't easy, but that's also not the point of this episode. So right now you have to just figure out. My working definition of romance is pretty broad. It is two people who have a deep emotional connection to each other. uh, And it may or may not include sex. Um, That they want to share their lives or their time or their relationship with each other. And that is, uh, that is, that, that they find parts of, that they don't have in themselves, in someone else, and that they kind of, they complete each other. So that is my definition of romance. And within that definition, uh, I have written gay and straight and multigendered and trans and just a bunch of different kinds of relationships and uh, have been doing this since uh, my first novel uh, when I was talking about the Hoos and their 10 genders uh, back in, no, that, I, that back then I had 13 because I was including some things that when I actually broke this down came down to 10. Uh, I'd had a little duplication. Um, but, you know, in my very first novel, there are the Hoos and their 10, uh, the 13 genders, and that was normal for them. 
So N- not only that, but the um, the woman Medwin Song had seven, nine, ten husbands, nine, nine, nine husbands. husbands. Yes. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Well, she got into that sort of cat situation where she didn't want to just let them go, and she, but she he turned into kind of a collector. You know, they were all so cute. Oh my God, that's awesome! Yeah, it was. It was a different. It was a different time. <laughs> so, um, so that is my working definition of romance. Yours will be different. So, what's yours? Well, mine is <clears throat> the same actually, because I, like you know, <laughs> I got really into uh, writing erotica. My first erotica story, please forgive me, was that office story with John Stewart from The Daily Show. <laughs> yeah, that's that's dated. Um <laughs> but yeah, it was it he he was very cute back then. I'm not saying he's not now, but it was it was really good. And then they, he was in this movie, I don't remember what it was called, but it was a romance movie where they had a whole bunch of different romances together mm-hmm. and he was in one of them and I was like, "Oh, <gasps> <laughs> yeah, he was he was one of those quick romance or uh, quick crushes that I had. Yes, he was one of your quick rollovers, unlike Gary Oldman. Yeah, yep, Gary Oldman and uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah, Val Kilmer. He had some staying was... power. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's pretty. Um, <laughs> and he was actually one of the very few blondes that I liked. And then there's uh, the fly, Jeff Goldblum. And (laughs) for some reason, he has become insanely popular with this younger part of my generation, the millennials. And I'm happy. Like, other people are like, oh, I liked him before. It was cool. I'm like, whatever. There's more of him around now. (laughs) Be happy. Um, But yeah, so my, my idea of romance is pretty much the same. Um, I was writing... The stuff, um, the clecks for Clark and Licks yes. when I was 15 or 16. and Yep, yep, you got yeah. your start in gay erotica. Yeah, well, <laughs> I had, I got my start from um, more the male-female because I created a Mary Sue. It was awful. Um, under the, the name Vandaline Z. Therese, which I know you always hated the Vandaline. It sounded like Vaseline name. to me. Ugh, because you're stupid. <laughs> It's a beautiful name. Vandaline Z. Therese. And uh, I was writing this Mary Sue character for Law & Order SVU because I had a big crush on Munch. Again, I have the weirdest freaking taste in men. And then I noticed that there was some kind of interesting chemistry between Munch and Odafin Tutuola, who is played by Ice-T, who I just adore. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually, I believe, the start Oh, no, I think it really was Clark and Lex from Smallville, and maybe then them. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and check the dates. But, yeah. Um, And I feel like that kind of there's this difference in not only the definition of romance, but the definition of how romance is perceived for different people. And so, like, between Tony and me, my so stupid but love language I'm putting that in in quotations and it's actually not stupid it's actually really smart kind of um basic tear down 
of the different ways that we tell somebody that we love them. Mm-hmm. Um, mine tends to be acts of service and um, affection in words. So like, I'll say I love you a lot. I'll thank him all the time for the things he does. I will um, do things for him, like wash his clothes since he he works out of the house. I can work in my pajamas if I want to, and it doesn't matter. But that, so that's, and kind of like I get his clothes ready for the next day. And, and he gets really sad. He's like, I don't have any clothes to wear. I'm going to go to work naked <laughs> if I don't put it out. <laughs> He's very cute. And his romance is service acts of service and gifts so he will cook me dinner he when he could he would make my coffee for me in the morning Mm -hmm. he would um build me things create that i mean he's built me just a a shit ton of stuff and then he also his he likes to give me presents like he's not as affectionate he always says i love you too um but he's not as affectionate but Mm -hmm. his love language as it's called is different from mine but at least we have the acts of service together so it's the same thing in showing romance and I keep that definite that part of my definition is I look at the character and try to figure out what their love language is also by looking at their astrology signs mm-hmm. their astrological signs sorry and then try to find the other between their partner so it, it's also kind of neat because you can get so much conflict just from looking at how they were raised and looking at how their astrological sign gives them certain personalities or whatever yeah I, and, i've used that method in the past for for building conflict i i am not yeah. a believer in astrology but I it, think that's funny because you used to be when you saw Matt's astro- uh, astrological symbol. Oh, yeah. Or his, his definition because he is a Leo. He is. <laughs> yeah. But I use it to help generate, okay, well, what would this person's love language be? Right. Because it gives you a, a new, a, a complete different set of conflicts built yeah. right in. Well, That's, between that and their biography, their, yeah. their little, what they had in life, that, that will build. Because of Tony, uh, his upbringing wasn't the best. He doesn't really have the affection in him mm-hmm. as much. Yes. Yeah. So um, he gives it more to the cats, which is really <laughs> cute. Yeah, for a guy who who hated cats until you came along, yep. the, the fact that he has become a cat person along with being a dog person, I think is just funny as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he, he'll say he's not a cat person, but yeah, yeah, he, but he, he doth protest too much. Yes, but yeah, so that that I always try to include in the definition because I always try to include the idea of a love language mm-hmm. in in the definition. You know, like. All the stuff you said, which was perfect, and then, <laughs> and they express it through different love languages. Yeah, yeah. That's I have I have never really given a lot of thought to the love language thing, and that really is a good idea. That probably is an area where I am not particularly deep in what I write, is mm-hmm. because I have never really considered that whole love languages conflict yeah, kind I of thing. Didn't that's either. different. But I was because re- Tony and I are so different. We do have what you said. We have a difference in us that that completes us. Mm-hmm. You know, like I warm him up and he calms me down. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's just a lot of 
well, he's strong where I'm weak, and I'm strong where he's weak. Yeah, we, so we're the same in that regard. That we, yeah, yeah. And it just—I was so young, and he was—he's ten years older. So it was—it was there was a lot of difficulty. So I was reading a lot of stuff on understanding men or understanding the differences, understanding how your partner is saying "I love you" even if you don't know it. And that's when I found the book on love, love languages, and that was really eye-opening because that's when I started paying attention to all of the little things that Tony does. Because when you have a different love language, you don't always see it. You want somebody to do what you think is love, mm -hmm. but they have a different definition of it. So I always try to include that in, in my, um, romance ideas that's and stuff because really yeah, not everybody idea. looks at flowers like it's a romantic gesture. Right. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah, so, okay, from that, we then have to go through a working definition of sex. And this, um, I vary from almost everybody, I am politically totally incorrect on this, uh, intentionally, because the political definitions of sex have no validity, um, the, whereas the biological definitions of sex, I came up with 10 legitimate genders um, and worked my way through it and figured out 10 different ways that people are born or adapt to as they grow older that, um, that determine what kind of, of relationships they're looking for, uh, what kind of gender they are. And uh, I, I had come up with this very early. Like I said, when my first novel, this, was, this has been a, a question for me for all of my life, you know, what is gender? And uh, so I came up with, I could figure out 10. I, I thought I could figure out 13 back when I was writing The Hoose, but uh, when I sat down and really worked through it, I could figure out 10, starting with asexual and ending with multi-attractions uh, to everybody all the time, um, but not, uh, not wanting to be who you are. And there is a, a sliding scale that runs all the way up and all the way back between no sex and all the sex all the time with everyone <laughs> um, and attractions and then being who you are physically in your body, being the other gender physically in your body, being both in your body, which you can't ever be, and, and then mm -hmm. being neither, having, having being attracted to people but, but having just hating what you are. And didn't you do a blog post on this? Oh, yeah. Like it's, years it's, and um, years ago? If you look up 10 normal genders, uh, it is the first thing that comes up in every search engine. Yeah, so. I'll put that in the um, the blog post. Yeah. Be or in, in the, yeah, the the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's an article, not a blog post, but, and it is long, and it is, it might have been a blog post, I don't know. Either way, it's, yeah, it's, it's easily yeah, it is, searchable. it is long. I remember reading that. I think it was after, it was during the... Um, stuff, the debate about legal marriage, I think, that mm -hmm. you were Yeah, and I've been a proponent of gay marriage since forever. Yeah, uh, it's it, it, I, My favorite meme was gay marriage. In other words, marriage. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, I looked at my relatives who were out inside of the family, um, you know, and, and at the lives that they had to live because they couldn't be out outside of it and the, these relationships they had with people that they wanted to be with and couldn't 
couldn't be with. And I thought that is just utterly fucked. Yeah. There's, it's, these, these are people I love. I want them to be happy. And uh, they did interesting work. I mean, my husband, or my, my good God, <laughs> my uncle Nick was a house flipper back before that was a thing. And, and my aunt was a nurse. And, you know, they were these people who had real jobs and real passions and things that they loved. And their gender was just not, it was meaningless within, I mean, it was meaningful to them. But, yeah. but how I could relate with them as a human being wasn't. It, it, was, it was completely irrelevant. Not their gender, but their um, sexual... The sexual orientation. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Well, gender didn't really matter either. They could have been either, and they would have still been great. They were wonderful yeah. people. So the working definition of sex, again, is something that has to be individual to you. It has to click with you. You have to write what matters to you, and, and then you will find people who share... That same, uh, I'm, I can't say orientation, but that same passion for reading about these specific things. And people don't even necessarily like necessarily want to read about what they are. Sometimes they want to read about what they aren't. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you will find readers that are broadly different than you who still love what you write, along with the people who are really like you and love what you write. So... Again, working definition of sex. For me, um, it, it is the physical aspect of the relationship, whatever that might be. And it varies from person to person. And it does not include animals. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. No. And and that's the thing, too. Like, my, my definition pretty much is, you know, a physical act of... Or a physical act between people. That's all I think of as sex. Because yeah. if it's in my romance stuff, it is romance. If it is in any of my other stuff, it's it it can just be two people that, you know, never met before having fun. But yeah, just a, a physical act between two people or more. Right. <laughs> two or more people. Or more. And it's it depends on what you're writing to whether or not it's romantic or fun or both or not <laughs> yeah for me i find all of it fascinating yeah and, but i i have some 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 places where i use romance and where i don't um or no i i put romance in everything i put relationships between my characters and everything oh the oh yeah right back back for just a second here no animals no kids no pre no prepubescent anything ever yeah That's, okay so having having said that <laughs> see and i don't i don't like the um the shifter stuff but that's just me yeah well you know that it's just i have read some me, of it it's weird yeah. um it's it's not and what i would you know write well yeah. i don't know with the exception of the occasional vampire and i do have one guy with tiger Vampires dna shifters. no but they aren't shifters that's true yeah they're just the people. one the one i could see is werewolves um but I don't understand why werewolves would want to have sex with a regular human being when they won't have the right libido. To me, that would just be my my writing anyway. Maybe they have the same libido. Yeah. But yeah, just knowing that you're having sex with something that is sometimes a dog or a tiger. Yeah. No, I couldn't do it. Ooh. I couldn't do it. No. I, I cannot separate that. But I, I, I understand that a lot of people do. And I totally don't judge them. I'm just like, personally, that is not my thing. No, I, I find that <laughs> icky, but that is me. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's as long as it's consensual and adult, I am, you know, pretty much okay there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so that's my working definition of sex. And there are places where I use sex and there are places where I don't. Um, my science fiction has no sex in it. It has the implication of people having relationships, but it is strictly fade to black. Um, that is a personal preference of mine when reading science fiction. And so that is what I do when, um, when I'm writing science fiction. When I am writing, uh, when I was writing my romances, those were fairly spicy. Uh, when I was experimenting with porn, that was really, really, really spicy. Um, <laughs> I never published any of it. I decided I didn't want that to show up in my readers list. So, um, you know, that was, became a thing that amused my husband. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's something that when you're looking at trying to make a living at this, uh, you think, well, that sells. And then you think, yeah, but you know, you have other stuff out there and that is not compatible with the other stuff you have out there. See, and I just want to, want to point this out to anybody listening. Holly goes through these phases too, of where she is looking at something that sells and her, her, Thing is that she always comes back to the things that she loves or can put her love into and passion so it's 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 perfectly normal to look at something and think well I really want to want to make money at it but yeah. but again you have to stick with something that you can put your name on and be proud of um and obviously it it, it wasn't worth it for you to put your name on anything like that. No, no. Yeah. And and there have been uh, lots of writers who have written porn under different names. Had Shel Silverstein. Yeah, had a wall between, you know, this identity and that identity. And there are some smart motherfuckers out there who will read through stuff and go, my, that style is remarkably similar. And look at the word choices. Oh, yeah, I'm worried about that yeah. for my other pen name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there are people who will track back what you have written to the other stuff you have written and make the connection. And there you are. So if you don't want it out there, it's like pic nudie pictures of yourself on the Internet. If you don't want them out there, don't take them. Well, you can take them, just don't, well, don't, don't them upload them to your cell phone. phone. Don't upload, yeah. <laughs> just like those poor celebrities that mm -hmm. keep getting hacked, and then people give them shit for taking nudie photos. Look, come on. Yeah. They have to have a private life, and look, they have to work out, they have to eat, they have to have these stringent workout plans and stringent diets to look that good. Let them feel freaking nice about their bodies. Good grief, people. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what's yes. the next point? Okay, love, sex, and celebrities. All right, moving on. Wow, this is, this, that should have been the thing and it would be a clickbait title. Yeah, it would be. Okay, so um, what you are looking at when you are putting romance um, with or without sex into your story, first off, is what does a romantic relationship bring to a story? And this was something that it took me a while to learn. Initially, um, I was just out there shooting stuff in every single direction. Uh, the first book that I wrote where I had Medwin Song and her nine husbands, uh, whom she dumped 
for an old, really old guy named Nokar, Nokar the librarian. Um, she, she. Oh, spoiler. Yeah. Well, hey, it was my first novel, you know. Uh, 91. So yeah, yeah, it's been out there <laughs> since 1990, uh, 1991. No, 91. Yeah, because Katie was seven. Yeah, that's right. So, um, and the other Rome, the other relationship I had in there was with my main character, and that was strictly sex. And she was using sex to get information from guys in the at the boys' universe, at the male university. Um, yeah. That was funny. It, well, yeah. Well, yeah. And then she, you know, there were repercussions from that too. Yeah. But, but she, she, she had this view of sex as if it was just something to have fun and something to blow off steam and something to, to, you know, it, it was just a very progressive look at sex, especially in the early nineties. Yeah. Well, you she, know? she grew up in a village. She grew up in a farming village where kids knew what sex was from pretty much the time they walked out the door in springtime and saw the animals that they were breeding, breeding. So they knew what, or, you know, in, you know, actually I think probably in winter because the, you know, you have to wait for the gestation. They have to be born in spring. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she had a, what they considered, what what the women at the university considered a, a real hick version of sexuality, something that they did not approve of, but uh, it turned out to save the world because she found out the information she needed from this guy, turned it, told it to uh, her instructor. The instructor um, did some further research in a what was considered a more appropriate manner and <laughs> turned out falling in love with the enemy, and that too help to save the world um yeah 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 the, their puritan view on sex and things um and the fact that if you got pregnant you got kicked out of the the university it just it was a very it was a very good book and it's it holds up to today and i just i i really love fire in the mist thank so, you yeah thank you. well my yeah. writing could have been a little better but it was my no opinion. i it was fine shut up <laughs> I look at it now and I think of a lot of things that I could have done differently, but you don't, you don't go back. Everybody does that. Yeah. You don't go back and fuck around with your old stuff. You let it sit there and you let people find what you were good at and bad at then. And that see that you have progressed over the years. Yeah. 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 You don't just keep reworking the same book over and over again. Yeah. And unfortunately a lot of people will publish it in self publication they have they tend to have this habit of oh well i've learned so much i want to go back and fix it mm-hmm. in fact one of my friends i think it does that and it's like no just you just you move on and you grow and if you get to the point where you really hate something that you self published delete it you know people still have it but just get rid of it right. if it's that bad but yeah anyway go ahead okay so what you're looking at is with with a romantic relationship, what does it bring to your story? And the things that it brings to my stories generally are the potential loss or gain of this primary value of the the main character's other person or, you know, in some instances, other people. That... Um, that it is... It allows us as writers to express why we as human beings matter to each other. And and to show that with fictional conflicts and to show loss 
and to show the, the fear of loss and to show the coming together of two people who didn't think they had what it took to be together, who realize through trials and tribulations and struggling together towards a common goal with different methods and disagreements and whatever else it takes to get them to understand that they are on the same side, that they belong with each other. And, um, and this is, and I've done this since the beginning. Um, you know, the, the girl in the first book who got knocked up and got kicked out of the university and went on to, to find, um, that she, she didn't find her guy. She didn't. She ended up a single mother and she was pretty good at it. And her kid was a terror and was pretty good at that. And, and she, at the end of the third book, uh, had just found the person that she was going to connect with, and the series got canceled. So, Oh, no. Yep. Oh, geez. Yep, yep, yep. Planned it for 10. Got <laughs> killed at three. Oh, <laughs> uh, that yeah. would have been really cool to read. Yeah, well, yeah, it would have been really cool to write, too, because she was going to go outside of the Delmiri barrier, and she was going to find the secret to the six-legged... Um, Ah, yes. Yes, the, the creatures everything and Everything with six legs. Yeah, the yeah. whole other thing that was going on out there. And it was going to go from being fantasy to being a really interesting sort of fantasy science fiction hybrid. And at three, with her crossing the damn Delmiri barrier, it ended. Oh. Yeah. And now, and now I can't rewrite it because all of that world is gone. The, all of the research, all of the, the everything. And uh, it's been way too many years, and I, I have gone through it and looked at it and all the linguistic stuff, all the shit that I put in the first three books, I have no references for anymore. So, Well, and you've moved on, I too. have moved on, too. I have, I have started. The, the stories I'm writing now are a lot bigger and a lot deeper. Um, but, yeah. So that, was, that is what the question, what does a romantic relationship bring to a story? Those are the two big things it brings for me. You have some other takes on that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot of what you said, again, it's valid. I I think because you raised me, I have a lot of the same <laughs> ideals. But um, I think that a big thing that it brings to the book is this hope, you know? And the the concept of two people making themselves better people not just for each other but each other makes them a better person makes them want to do you know this this stuff with with tony our our whole marriage and and friendship for 13 years going on 14 um because i met him in 2005 october 2005 so, and we were friends, like, pretty much instantly because of his stupid grin, you know? <laughs> I, hate, I hated salesmen. I said I was never, ever, ever going to be friends with any of them. And then he walks through the door. With, I remember the first time I saw him with that big, stupid, contagious grin of his. And I was, I was done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that, it, it's just, you support each other 
and your each other's dreams and you do whatever you can to help the other person be the best person that they want to be and I want to bring that to stories I want any romance I write I want to have that in there and it can be subtle like in the first Wanda leaving in leaving Wanda Lucia it was very subtle at least I think um but there was a lot of this in a lot of my work um the stuff that I've I've been doing since I was very little and I think that that came from you know seeing how you and Matt were were working together to just try to be better people um and the hope that maybe for the reader but also just in general that there is there's this idea of a soulmate and people get stuck with that because of Hollywood they think they have to find a person that shares the same interests that connects with them in you know the same love language and that never they never fight <laughs> my my boyfriend my my first real serious relationship and my ex we never we fought one time in four years and it wasn't working one time literally we we might have had differences of opinions but we never really argued we never fought we we shared some of the same interests and it didn't work so it not saying that that doesn't work for everybody I'm just saying it didn't work for me because I needed something else and and I want to put that in romance I want to put that there is no necessarily no soulmate for you that that it's not finding love it's finding a friendship or fr finding a relationship finding somebody who makes you happy and who you want to be with and making that work and and making that true love yeah so it's not it's not finding true love it's finding love and making it true love staying together and and working things out obviously you know if you're physically abused or if there's some kind of things that make you uncomfortable or you don't agree with the person's convictions that's different you mm -hmm. know that's that's but, leaving time <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's some things that you can't make work right but and sometimes i i used to hate this song love sometimes love isn't enough yeah it's absolutely true and i hate that i hate that because sometimes love just isn't enough it isn't enough to make a relationship work right right you have to have a certain compatibility too and part of of my problem with a lot of romances that i have read is that the people had nothing in common they were uh, completely wrong for each other, but they fell in love. They had this chemistry, and they were terrible together, but they were in love. Therefore, that was the romance. And um, the, with the experience of having been uh, divorced a couple of times and had a relationship that was, you know, outside of marriage once, and I, I made some interesting fuck-ups when I was young. <laughs> I really did. Um, I married the wrong guy for the wrong reason. I uh, knew he was the wrong guy when I married him. Had two great kids who had horrible childhoods because of him. Um, and uh, looked outside marriage briefly. And that was my, <laughs> that ended in me almost killing myself. 
uh, followed by having a moment when I went, no, no, divorce is really, might be okay. Divorce might be okay. That might be an alternative to, to running into a tree. And, and just as a note here, <laughs> the reason why suicide was even an option was because of the horrible relationship that your parents had yeah. and because of the, their beliefs that they forced on you. Yes. So, yeah. 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 So, Suicide. Yes. Maybe that's better than having to go through a divorce and disappointing my awful parents. Yes. Yes. And that was, that was my option at three o'clock in the morning on the way home one night. And, yeah, uh, that, that really shook Mark when you told him. Yeah, and uh, I was I was aimed at the tree in a Taurus with my seatbelt off and my foot pedaled to the metal. Uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't Maxton, it was Rayford. I was, there was this enormous tree outside of Rayford heading from Fayetteville to uh, Laurenburg. And it, I mean, it, that, that tree was a, a live oak. It had probably been there since before the Civil War. Massive thing. And I thought, that'll do it. And I went in. And at the, the, the last minute, this little voice in the back of my head said, maybe divorce wouldn't be so bad. And I veered in time. Uh, and uh, that's, that was, that's as close as I ever got. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you saved all of our lives when you made the decision to stay alive yeah yeah and i would if i had i was 27 at the time and if i had done that then uh you would have been stuck with your your bio father and uh i would never have written anything and you would have been yeah <laughs> yeah that just could have gotten so much worse so i am very glad that i you know Veered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, so I have made some interesting mistakes. And, and I, you know, this, the second time I got married, I married a guy I really liked, but we were on absolute opposite ends of the spectrum of what we wanted out of a relationship. And yeah. I didn't find that out until after we were married. Um, yeah. So, you know, I wanted one person for the rest of my life. And on my third try, hey, I found somebody who wanted the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he's nine years younger than me, and he is... <laughs> Mom's a cradle robber. Yep, yep, but he's he's funny and brilliant and really fun to look at, and <laughs> and I am grossing at my daughter. <laughs> yes, so let's get back to the discussion of sex. This was a great idea on that, my part. That's what we were heading towards, and you made me stop. <laughs> yep, oops, my mistake. <laughs> All right, so th that's um, why we matter to each other, is why both sex and romance have a place in fiction, because they give you something important, something that matters to the characters, something that makes you just have to write it so that you can see that it works out okay for them, or, you know, in tragedies that it doesn't, but I don't like those books. I like books where they, I do. I'm such a wuss. No it's, no, it's talking about bringing hope. That's what you want. It's the same thing. Is it's you want? There's enough tragedy in the world as it is, you know. And mm -hmm. if you want to write tragedy, that's fine. That's your choice. But it's your choice to to give them better endings than that. Yeah, yeah. And I choose to give my characters the endings that they have earned. Not to punish them because I'm an evil dick. <laughs> I want them to have the happiness that I finally got. And that I was looking for before. And uh, 
you know, 23 years, 20, almost 24 now. Yeah, 24 in just a few days. So, Aww. yep, yep. <laughs> um, best damn thing I ever did. <laughs> so, um, what breaks a fictional romance then? And when you are, now this is not what breaks up the characters. This is what makes your romance not work for the reader, uh, which is two completely different things. Uh, so what we are looking at here is what breaks the writing of the romance when the writer screws up. Um, and what I'm starting with here is unsympathetic characters. And it's really hard to use literary references for this because Everybody hasn't read almost everything. So uh, I've used some TV references. And unfortunately, because most of what I watch from TV that even sticks at all is sitcoms, because um, I, I haven't, we don't have TV. Uh, we have a series of DVDs that we bought years ago. And so we have things like Friends and... Um, uh, You've got Netflix, too. Yeah, we have Netflix, and we watch stuff from there. Um, the Orville is awesome, uh, but and it has a nice little ro kind of quasi-romantic thing going on in there right now. What you're looking at that I can relate to is unsympathetic characters that I can show you, which is, uh, for example, Claire in Modern Family and Rachel in Friends, where they are... <clears throat> in Rachel's case, an irredeemable bitch. In that, I, think she, I like her, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. But she she is manipulative. Yes. She lies. Uh, she demands to be right. She demands to have her ass kissed at every possible opportunity. She made in when she was wrong, and <clears throat> they were on a thing. break. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. And, and then demand, demanded that she had never said that they, throughout the rest of the thing. No, no. You know, she had never said that they were on a break. That was all him. It was all his fault. And at one point she had him uh, have to drink some fat to prove that he actually loved her. A, a, Monica yeah. had a glass of fat stored in the uh, fridge that she was going to uh, use for cooking. And she demanded that he sit there, if he wanted her to ever give him a chance again, he had to drink the fat. And he was ready to drink it. And she said, okay, okay, you don't have to do that. That is not redemption. Because mm -hmm. if you are demanding that somebody make some sort of fucking sacrifice for you, you're an asshole. And Rachel is yeah. an asshole. From beginning to end, I loathe her. Now, Claire has a lot of the same problems. But she is written more for comic relief. With Claire in Modern Family, she is frequently written the same way. Bitchy, manipulative, um, demanding, unwilling to see anybody's point of view but her own. But she was written by slightly better writers. And from time to time, they make her see herself through the eyes of other people and realize who she is and how unlikable she is. And then let her become a little better again for a while until she goes back to her default, which is somebody that I just cannot stand. Um, but that is, that is one stereotypical character that can break a romance is someone who like Rachel demands th that, that 
her way is the only way and that her ass will be kissed as the necessary default for the relationship. And if she does not get her way, if she is not the fucking princess, then the relationship is not going to work. In which case you say, all right, moving on. And you, you as the male or the female who is in love with this character, move on. There was so much to Rachel and I think they overplayed the daddy's princess pieces because the whole point was that she was supposed to grow and be a different person and but she never did uh, yeah i mean there's some areas where she did where she started working for a living and all this other right. stuff but but they didn't do it in the romance so by the time and she was always nicer to joey you know mm-hmm. i kind of liked the rachel joey mix i thought maybe her and ross just didn't didn't gel but right and i thought she and she and joey she might have turned into a human being yes. if she had been written to yeah. Yeah, but they didn't uh, want to go that route. The one no. character I'm thinking of, there's so many, but um, there's the one in Everybody Loves Raymond, and I don't remember her name. The his the wife? wife? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember her name either, but Deborah. yeah, I loathed her too. Deborah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, she's, they're written better to me than like the Ross Rachel thing, but, and, and I understand some of her some of her issues with him because he's always lying to her he's always hiding shit that he does yeah he's not likable either no no that's why nobody in that show was likable except for the the tall doofy guy yeah oh i liked his brother yeah that he was good and i actually liked his parents because they had a couple of moments in there where it was clear that a lot of what they did on the outside it didn't matter because all he wanted was her and all she wanted was him. They did all of these things. Yeah, I don't think you watched it enough to really get there. But I never got there. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> yeah, like that sounds good. I liked it because a lot of it was funny. Um and I loved the parent thing. I Marie was I don't remember Peter Boyle's character's name, but um Marie and him were great. And it was just, there was, there was a chemistry between them. They were freaking hilarious. They pretended to hate each other half the time. And while my relationship isn't that extreme to (laughs) outsiders, it seems like Tony and I are not a good mix. But to me, we fit each other. We complement each other. And with Raymond and her, it just never felt like that. She was, she was bossy. She was demanding. She was nagging. She just... And he was just horrible. But they're just unsympathetic. You, if he was every now and then, you know, like, I'm going to sneak off to the golf course, you know, like every now and then. And that maybe that would be understandable. You know, I don't know. It would be more sympathetic. But it's just the constant lying, the constant bitching and nagging. It just didn't gel. And you couldn't see why either one of them fell in love with each other. And it wasn't, I don't know, a a lot of people like the show. I'm not dumping on them. A lot of people have different kinds of relationships, but it just didn't work for me. And there's so many relationships where the writers run out of the conflict for the will she won't, won't, will they, won't they? And that was the problem with Ross and Rachel was they didn't want them to get together because that was why a lot of people were watching. And when they get together, then you have that problem of maybe losing the viewer's interest because, Mm -hmm. but 
the way that they added the conflict in there was just awful. It was. It was. They they resolved it. They used the conflict argument, which actually takes us. Oh, well, we. No, yeah, yeah I you guess wanted we did. to do any more of the characters or the. Yeah. Um, well, I brought that you, one up to you. So I can yeah, you it. had some good stuff. Uh, Ross in Friends was just didn't work to me because he was totally insecure. He he never took a chance. He never he, he was he was unutterably weak and unwilling to stand up and say no, bitch. Uh, you said we were on a break. That well, was you. I mean, he did. He kept and saying it, but he, he, but didn't, he didn't make it stick. He didn't move on. Yeah, he didn't move on. Yeah. And at the point where she could see what she was missing, well, but she wasn't missing anything with him because he had no spine. But if he had moved on, then they could have had this thing of, well, will they, won't they? He's this great guy who who found somebody else, and now she's in love with him, and he's, and and he is not. Um, we we were Matt and I were discussing this the other day. He said the one moment where I really thought that Ross was a real person was when he was getting married to the woman over in England, Emily, and they were doing their vows, and he said Rachel's name. And that, to me, genuinely was a human connection of, of what really mattered to him and that this woman that he was marrying was a placeholder for the woman he really loved. Yeah. And that in that moment, he was a real character for me. And the rest of the time, he was this despicable piece of, of, of spineless wuss. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, no, we are not harsh. kind. Yes. <laughs> My yes. mom's a savage. <laughs> yeah, well, that was Matt's opinion, too. My mom and then stepdad are savage. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't say he's despicable, but he's annoying. And the other, the, the one that I brought up was was more or less a, a an unfortunate genre type for for romance, not just in in fiction, but also you see them in shows and in movies. And it's it's that over dominating male that. If you read like you you used to read in the seventies, the seventies oh. Harlequin and silhouettes. God. It's just this asshole, basically. Yeah. This arrogant piece of crap man that that is just he's unsympathetic. He makes demands. He he does what he wants. He doesn't care about the woman's opinion. Nothing matters and and then they, they have these moments of, of vulnerability that come across as attempts to show some inside but it's so poorly written that it doesn't feel real it feels forced it feels like okay well this is this is the formula um a lot of males in in tv shows and movies they don't have they're written by people who don't seem to know what love or romance is they they don't or they think they know what the viewer wants to see so Mm -hmm. you have these characters that are action heroes or all these these men with you know that are that are all about one thing and then they try to shove romance into the storyline just to hit their you know female markets and mm-hmm. it's irritating and then yeah, there's well. the weak timid woman that usually goes along with him 
And the shows of strength on her part are forced and bullshit as well. Right. Right. That's, yeah, that was my, my summer of 16 where <laughs> I got, I was working at uh, Burger Chef in Ohio, in East Liverpool. And I had a friend who brought me an entire grocery bag full of Harlequin romances. And I took them home and read them all in like three weeks. I mean, big grocery bag. Big. Oh, yeah. I, I remember I, we were talking about that. Amanda did yeah. the same thing for me a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. And I went through and read them all. And they were all the same. It was 30-year-old asshole man, 19-year-old virgin. Yep. And some situation that threw the two of them together. And at the end, they had sex. And it was, it was never, that was it, man. That was, that was the whole, there was no relationship. There were, there were conflict arguments. There was, there was nothing there. But God damn, I was desperate for something to read. So I read them all. <laughs> um, and just just to mention real quick too, any of these characters that start off like that because we were talking about Rachel, um, it it's awesome to have them start out as any of these stereotypes, and then have an arc. So in in any book at all, in anything, if you want to have the vapid princess Rachel character, but have her grow in in so many ways. And then have her become a better person and it work in the romance. Or you have a guy who is an asshole and then his heart melts or grows three times its size or whatever it did with the Grinch. <laughs> then that's great. That's wonderful. I love that. Okay, that's a really good idea. So let's take a second here and rebuild Rachel. Yeah. Okay. She comes in. She is the the vapid, skillless, um, sheltered princess who was expected to marry and a doctor and become a doctor's wife. And that was supposed to be her. That was, that was who she was supposed to be. This had been planned out for her by her parents uh, who had done this. And this was their life. And uh, so how do you then? She moves to the city. And she rooms with these people. And she discovers that she has to have a job. And she discovers that there are people out there who do not fit her qualifications of doctor, but who might be romantic interests. Uh, won't get her parents' approval, but, you know, fuck them anyway. Um, <laughs> well, we have learned, have we not? <laughs> you, well, you haven't, because we like Tony. But... Well, you didn't at first, though. You were worried about him, so. Yeah, we were worried about him initially. Yeah. But, Cause you he, know, he's... we thought you were pretty smart, so you would probably be all right. Yeah, um, just trusted me. Yes. So so then how do you fix her? Well, you, you make her struggle with parts of her life. You make things hard on her. You don't let things be easy. And from the struggles that she has, you allow her to see people differently. Yeah, and I don't, and, even with the job, she didn't really struggle. She, I mean, she was a bad waitress, which was funny, but it, and it was realistic, and it was fun to see her trying to get better, and she never did, which is ridiculous. And then, but but also kind of her character because she didn't care really about that job. Right. But when she 
got the fashion job. It came out of nowhere. Yeah, she, she was a character that, you know, loved fashion and stuff, but she just fell into this high paying, wonderful job. And it right. frustrated me because that's typically not how shit works. And no. it's not how you grow to just fall into something. And no. they're trying to, again, this, this was like a forced, okay, well, we need something new for Rachel. So let's yeah. just give her this. Right. And that's the way it came across, too, that, they, that she was given it and miraculously proved to be good at it, yeah. in spite of the fact that she knew nothing and was proud of the fact that she knew nothing. This was, this was her modus operandi, man, yeah. that she did not, I don't need to learn anything because I am cute. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and Jennifer Aniston is hot. She's beautiful. Even now, it's like if she's had work done, it's good work. She yeah. is just gorgeous. But the the thing you can't you have to be a better character than that. You have to show or a better writer. You know that you have to show, like you said, the struggles and her right. earning this kind of you know amazing perfect job for her. Right, and. That is part and parcel of what we are talking about here, is that you have to earn a relationship. You know, it's not something that comes together. Matt and I fought all the time when we first got together. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, that's, there was, yes. And now, I mean, he, he threw things. He didn't throw things at me. But I he still threw remember the pen. The pen that yes. splattered all over the wall. <laughs> uh, way, way up on the ceiling, yeah. Um, just because he would, he would get so frustrated and I know I am not an easy person to live with. I am not. Uh, I, I, my head is almost never in the present. I am almost always inside of a story. I, I don't hear when people talk to me because there is this other conversation that's going on. Becky is sitting there laughing and her head is nodding up and down. Yep. Um, yeah, there have been times where my people would come up behind me and say something to me. And once, what was it that Mark said? Penis radio. Yeah. And <laughs> he came up behind me and he had been talking to me and I did not hear him. And so he said, penis radio. And that came through. Yeah, but my like, alien speak never did. Mark and I were giggling at it. Then Joe, because we were, you know, making, I was making funny sounds. Joe was sitting there <laughs> giggling too. And he, and he was like nodding and he started saying stuff too. And it was like nothing, nothing. You just kept writing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, you know, deadlines will do that to you too. Well, yeah, and, but it's also, it's also how it's you, you hyper-focus. And, yeah. Yeah. And that has been me since I was a kid. I, I would do the same thing while I was reading fiction. And my parents would yell at me and yell at me and yell at me and finally come in and physically insert themselves between me and the page and say something. And then I would hear them because, you know, I, I tunnel down, man. I, I step right inside of whatever it is that I'm working on and everything else disappears. Well, plus you'd been through a lot different things things a lot of different things than Matt and Matt had been through a certain family life where he didn't know how to express himself maybe mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so just that stuff got yeah, well into... yeah we are very we are very different people yeah. we are still very different people but we complement each other 
you know, he is weak where I am strong. I am, you know, and he is strong where I am weak. And and he is, he's just so cool. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, yes. Um, so that's a, you know, you make people over time become the people their best version of themselves whatever that might be yeah i think that would have worked a lot better for ross and rachel and Mm -hmm. i think that even if they had to have this kind of struggle of an end where they just they still had issues that's fine because that's real life yeah real life you still have issues yeah so (laughs) if if they had both became better stronger people their best versions of themselves. They had been proud of who they were. They both had spines. They both, you know, were compassionate, more compassionate. Because he was more compassionate and she was more not. So that's one place he could have made her better. And she was stronger and he was weaker. So she could have made him better, you know? And they never showed that. It, if they had had struggles and they overcame them, then... And, and still wanted to be together, it would have been such a nice ending for them. Yeah. Yes. And, and it could have been done if they had laid the groundwork. Yeah. And they didn't. I did, I did uh, like Chandler and Monica together. I thought they were good. Monica, as soon as she married Chandler, turned into a bitch. Yeah, but he but kind he, of calmed her down. He, he added a lot of levity to that. Mm-hmm. And she still clearly loved him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So of the they of those two relationships, they were the better relationship. But Monica really could have used some more development. Yes. The only woman in that show that I liked was Phoebe. And Phoebe was an airhead. But <laughs> she had her moments. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So then that takes us. We, we kind of veered a bit, but it was important. That takes us to romance with irrelevant conflict, which is the second thing that breaks fictional romance. Um, one of these is the conflict argument, where the writer does not understand what genuine, meaningful conflict is, so has the two characters bitching back and forth at each other. And that's most sitcoms and um, most fiction where a man and a woman are supposed to be in love with each other, um, the way this is, sh- the way the conflict between them is developed is that they snipe at each other and say mean things and, and, and just argue about irrelevancies that don't move the story forward. Yeah. And there's that, there's the misunderstandings that create the oh. arguments and those, mm. it can be done well, but most of the time it's not. Yeah. Oh my God. Stupid misunderstandings that two, two, four year olds could work out if they just talked about it. Yeah, you, you can know, with, you can see the difference in the first couple of seasons of Frasier versus the last couple of seasons of Frasier because the first couple of seasons of Frasier did misunderstandings very well. And then the last last few seasons were just just horrible. I couldn't stand them. But Yeah, I quit watching that show because of that. Yeah. But the the yeah. misunderstandings at that point were just awful and overplayed and they didn't know what else to do so they just kept doing the same thing but not as well right right and the cure for the conflict argument for nothing real at stake for for the third part of this which is the incidental romance which means that the romance is not tied into the the plot of the story is that 
You tie the romance into the story. You put your two characters at different points on the same side so that they are not each other's enemies. They are, their fates are tied together to the success of this third thing, which is the conflict they both have to solve. Whether it's a comet racing towards the planet or um, a, the meddling of relatives who don't think they belong together or um, I don't know, just or like just Talon. Yeah. Okay. Where? Yeah, she is from one side of of a divide, and he is from another. Uh, they are from different cultures. They are from different religions. Her religion gives no appeasement whatsoever to if you are if you are Tonk. That's it. You cannot marry anybody who is not Tonk. And if you are infertile, you cannot get married. What you do then is you give your characters a reason to fight together against a common enemy. Whether, whether, that, whether it's a trivial enemy, whether it's some small thing like uh, a family misunderstanding where her family thinks he's horrible and his family thinks she's horrible and they can see what's good about each other, but they have to work past the family to be together. Um, that would be a good book. Yeah, they where they are each other's enemies. That's never a good book. Or they can start off like in Talon, where they were each other's enemy. Oh, where but yeah, where a they common were... enemy put them together. Right. Yes. Um, well, yeah, because they were they were politically enemies. Yeah. He was he was on the other side of a war. She was she was a soldier on one side of the war. He was a soldier on the other side of the war. They ended up stuck together. Because the third party turned out to be the real enemy. The one that was trying to bring both countries together turned out to be the real enemy. And they were, they had to work past all of this shit that they had believed about each other in order to figure out how they could work together. And in working together, there was this one little moment in that book that I drew from my own real life. And that book was written with uh, the main character actually being Matt, um, because a lot of my main characters now are Matt. But um, yeah, just don't even make that face. I can see that face from <laughs> here. <laughs> um, they were crawling through a hole, to, uh, through a tunnel to escape. And the tunnel was gross. It was dirt and it was horrible. And there were bugs all over it. And he paused, and she was waiting. She said, is everything okay up there? He says, I'm just taking care of something. And she climbs, she follows him through, and he has squashed and moved all of the bugs that were in this one area so that she wouldn't have to crawl through them. And it's this stuff that she, you know, that she didn't even realize it until later that, that, that he had done that. And it's this thing that I have seen with Matt where he will do these things that I don't even notice that he is, has done them until all of a sudden, oh my God, I just realized that was done and he did it and didn't even say anything about it. He just took care of it Yeah, because that's who he is. And that was the where their relationship started connecting was in her realizing that he was this guy who did this stuff for her that and didn't wasn't doing it for points or anything. He just did it because he didn't want her to have to crawl through bugs. 
And he knew through a, a part of the plot all about her. So that was yeah. that was really cool. I liked that. That <laughs> made, yeah. made me um, think of me and Tony again. I'm I'm the bug squasher in the house because my big burly firefighter, you know, tough guy <laughs> does not like yeah. bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in our relationship, I am too. Because, because you know, I grew up in places where there were cockroaches the size of your hand on the wall in the shower. Yeah, you know, Costa Rica, Guatemala. Um, you know, you see really big bugs. And I learned how to deal with them. Um, and I send pictures of bug to Matt on a regular right. basis. <laughs> right. Because you but don't like it bugs. Was, yeah, but it was the concept because I have never squashed a bug that and didn't tell him about it. Because I want to be praised for what I do. He does all this stuff for me all the time that he just does. And it, it, sometimes I don't notice it for, for days. And all of a sudden I'll go, oh, my God, that's done. I didn't do it. He didn't say anything about it. He just did it mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. But it's this, it is this differences in relationships where you show people coming together because of these little things that mean everything. And... You know, I I love that part of talent. But yeah, so that's it's part of the whole plot thing. So if you're not writing romance, um, like Talon is a good example. Yeah, or, that's not a romance. No, that's a fantasy novel. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's why I'm taking out the the part in Class House where I was putting them together too early, because mm-hmm. I want it to build up between the different books, and maybe the girl character will go with her best friend because that feels more there or at least it doesn't feel like what they have is finished so that it's it's just about putting them together and having their actions show how they feel without having to say it without having to make it obvious or point it out to the reader you know just like that like the squishing the bugs like yeah just little things here and there you know, the guy knew exactly what kind of coffee she had. She doesn't have to point it out like, oh, you knew my coffee. It, it just, you know, it, it's little things in books that are not romances that can show that there is something growing there. Maybe he stands, maybe he's, you know, in, in an office or something and, and she turns around and he was looking at her, you know, because... And, and then he looks away because he doesn't want to make her feel weird. But that that shows something in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's, and, and that, too, is part of what makes it fun to write, is these people figuring each other out while dealing with something bigger. I have, okay, I have a romance in the Longview Chronicles, which is this six short story series. And this thing was planned from the very beginning. I knew what it was going to be. Um, it was between Shay and Melly. And but a lot of people haven't read that yet. That's okay, because this is, this is uh, how they get there. I'm not going to go into. Okay. But uh, they are, Shay, I, I established early on that she was not interested in men. The owner told this to a guy who was interested in her. And he says, uh, you know, don't even bother. Uh, She went through some shit 
to get to be who she is. And she just, no, men, not going to work. And then later on, uh, she and Melly kind of, kind of click, but there is this, she's the owner's representative. She is, and Melly is not a person of importance to the ship yet. And then, so there, you know, there, there is an attraction, but there's not a them. And then Melly ends up being a person of importance to the ship in a number of different ways. And it allows them to have a relationship. And, uh, and I like, you know, I'm not going to say anything about the end, but they were, they were built over a, a oh, Jesus, what, 250,000 words, I think, <laughs> as a side, just a side of what I was telling, you know, a much, much bigger story. The relationship between those two in there, however, allows them to deal better with the problems they both have to solve in that they can work on them together. They can figure things out together and back and forth. And as they do this, they grow closer. They see each other differently and better because of this shared struggle for their very survival that runs from pretty much the first of the story the first of the first stories to the last of the sixth. There is a working example of a romance in a non-romantic, very uh, tense series of uh, novellas that all got put together as one big book. And mm-hmm. if you want to see how Holly did that, then go buy the Longview. <laughs> go buy yes, the Longview yes. series, which is, yes. of course, my pitch for her book, not hers. She was just pointing yeah. out. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, I appreciate that. Yes, it's it's the Longview Chronicles if you're looking for it. Yes. So, yeah, um, that's all six in one, and you save a bunch of money by buying them that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the other thing, I'm going to go to Mary Stewart, who wrote a lot of stuff back in the oh, 60s, and I think up through the 70s. She's dead now, I'm pretty sure. But, and if she's not, I'm sorry, Mary. But, um... She was someone who wrote very, very well thought out mysteries. And they were suspense mysteries. And they were suspense mysteries that included male and female protagonists who fell in love. And she is, if you want to look up somebody who from way back just nailed this, look up Mary Stewart. Look up her suspense mysteries and her romantic relationships between the male and female protagonists who are attempting to not die. Because having that in common pulls them together in spite of some really significant differences in the characters and some different philosophies and some different things. And it makes them some very, very fine reads. All right then. So let's move on to what's the point of sex in fiction? And now we get down to it. <laughs> there, you, you have to have a reason to show sex. Uh, sometimes it's just for titillation. That's the obvious reason, that you have people who want to watch other people get laid. Um, and <laughs> Becky is wincing. But let's be real here. No, it's just, it's, why did I suggest this topic to discuss with my mother? <laughs> You don't really, it's like, but it's not that I haven't heard you say getting laid or, you know, worse, but it just, oh, it's my mom, you know? (laughs) 
Oh, geez. So anyway, And yeah. I take you back to the Tinker Toy. No, God, yeah. I asked where babies come from. I didn't get a stork answer. I got a Lincoln Log. Lincoln Log <laughs> exclamation. And a hand gesture. Yes, yes, and a hand gesture. And then I was like, all right. Well, hey, if your mom's a nurse, you're yep. going to get practical advice because your mother does not want you to accidentally end up finding out the hard way. No, and you know what? I mean, I... Uh, that's one thing I can say is that I've always had a very good understanding of sex <laughs> and how boys act. And yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I will be proud to say I've only ever been with two people. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need more. I didn't want more. I wanted one person for my whole life. And, you know, the first one didn't work out and got my second one. So, fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yeah, but, hey, it, t- it took me four, but I, I eventually got there, too. <laughs> but <laughs> And the fact that there's only three years age difference between the two of them, I find just funny. Yeah, three years age difference between Matt and Tony, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, just, that's just weird. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyway. Yeah, so what sex- is the point of sex and fiction? Yeah. And the obvious one is that people like to see that. Well, you can They're, say it. It's, it I'll, I'll try to cringe less. But yeah, it's yes. people like to visualize, you know, the the act. They they love the chemistry beforehand. They like the build up. They like the sex in in, you know, especially in romances. If you're picking up a romance, then, you know, that's a big part of it is the chemistry, the build up and then the you know, sex more than once and then mm-hmm. not necessarily the happily ever after ending, but I like the happy for now endings where it's, you know, it's not a magical fairy tale, but they're together and you have this idea that they're going to be together forever through thick and thin. Yeah. yeah with, the, with the understanding that you have seen thick and you have seen thin and their conflicts with each other probably will continue to continue. Yeah. Uh, that they are not a suddenly perfect couple. Yeah. And that's kind of reassuring, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hate and these endings where there's there's this, all of a sudden, all of the arguments, and, and that's that's the poison of the, the irrelevant conflict, is that, the endings, once the irrelevant con- con- uh, conflict is gone, the ending is all perfect, all happy. She's pregnant. They're going to have a kid. They're married. Or they got married and then now she's pregnant. Or, you know, and then everything's fine and they're all happy together and there's nothing ever wrong again. Because all of the conflict was settled. And then you're left thinking, well, my marriage isn't like that. And a lot of people have enough sense to say, okay, well, this is fake. But then why put it in there? Why not be more realistic and let people know that, hey, you know what? The, you don't have to live in a fantasy world, I guess. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know. Real to, life is good. Yeah. Real life is great. You don't have to... to pine over the fact that you fight with your significant other yeah it's just part of a relationship yeah there are arguments there are huffs there are little pouts from time to time and then you work through your shit and you move on and you have fun and you do stuff together yeah and 
Yeah. So the obvious reason is titillation. The not so obvious reason is to deepen character connections and increase the stakes. Wherein, if you have two people who are fighting on the same side towards a common goal, in spite of the fact that they are fighting with each other, the fact that they have to then get start getting along, as with um, Talon and, oh my God, I don't remember his name. Gare. Talon, Gare, thank you. Yeah, it's been a long time. Obviously, time to go back to that series. Um, with Talon and Gare, they are on opposite, opposite sides, and the fact that they have to in order to save their two disparate, warring, dumbass peoples. They have to find a way to get along with each other. And they have to make it work, because if they don't, their world ends. Not the whole world, but their ways of life, what they value, the people they love, that all, that shit all goes, all comes to an end. So they have to get along with each other. And in having to find common ground, in having to look at each other differently and say, okay, well, you're all I've got. It's the two of us against everything. What the fuck do we do now? To have them find ways to communicate with each other, connect to each other, see what's good about each other, gradually over the period of a big fat novel, and come together in the end as the two people who were right for each other from the beginning, but had to go through hell to see it. And that makes them more important to each other from then on, because they have been through hell. And that's one of the things that made it work so well with Matt and me, is that we had to go through hell to get to where we are right now. It was awful. <laughs> But we had each other, and we were able to find what was good in each other while we were climbing over this unending series of brutal obstacles and shit that went wrong. And that's different for a lot of a lot of stories. So you can it can be a romance plot. It can be an office standing between the two of you, like the the people in there. Um, mm-hmm. it can it can be anything. it can it can be just jobs that are pulling people apart. It can be the your work schedules are completely different, or it can be two warring countries. Yeah. It, it can be espionage. It can, it can be anything, but having them it has to matter. Yeah, having them go through a plot conflict together and have to work together and find out how to work together is a right. is is great. Right, and it it has to matter to both of them. It has to be the thing that they are fighting to fix has to be important enough to both of them. You know, tracking a serial killer or um, discovering a dog napper in the neighborhood or just the, the possibilities here are infinite, seriously infinite. You can find anything that will allow two disparate people to find common ground. But... It is the concept of two disparate people finding common ground that makes a romance work and that gives people something to read and believe in and love and cheer for these two characters because it's not them being stupid from the very beginning. Say, oh my God, you're perfect for each other. Why can't you see it? Have them not be perfect for each other. Or have them them be perfect for each other, but have things that are holding them apart. Right. Like with Brock Brock and Angie. 
Right, exactly. But it has to matter. It has to matter to the story. It can't be some trivial, dumbass misunderstanding. Yes. You yeah. know, if, if, and seriously, your rule of thumb here is if you could put two five-year-olds in a room together, give them this problem, and have them solve it. If they can solve it, <clears throat> that wrong, wrong answer, go deeper. Or if Find just having the two characters talk to each other yes. for three, five, 15, 30 seconds. Yeah, I have this this kind of weird hunch at the back of my head, in my mind, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong and you will not hurt my feelings, but do you kind of have a crush on me? And the character goes, oh, yeah, I, I do, actually, uh, you know, but I was afraid to say anything because I thought you didn't like me. Well, yeah, I actually do like you. Or... Were, were you really sleeping with this one girl? <laughs> right, yes. Or one guy? Or did you one cheat guy, on yes. me? Or, you know, did you get me fired? <sighs> yeah. Like, oh, God. Uh, no, no, I didn't. You know what? I have heard rumors that that was so-and-so, the girl who you're, you're starting to date now. And, you know, I don't want to be the person to say this because, you know, obviously I have a, a, a dog in this fight. But, you know, if you check around, you might find that it was her. I can't prove it. You might be able to. Yeah. And like yeah. that would, if you want, you can play around with these stereotypes. You can play around with these, these stupid misconceptions that they throw in all of these books. And mm -hmm. like the guy thinking that she's pregnant because somebody said something or he found something. It's, it's just, it's so done and it's so, it's so stupid. And the secret baby thing and the, it, just play around with it, you know? Yeah, Put because the awesome twist is to have them bring it up. Yeah. Say, so seriously, you know, is that my kid? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's why I picked the the storylines that I did in Wanda Lucia. Because I've been reading romance since I was very, uh, well, I mean, I was like 11 or 12 or 13 or somewhere around there. Once, you know, mm -hmm. I think I was pretty typical for girl for, for many women that I started reading it pretty young. Um, and it just, I got so tired of the same BS all the time. And it's something that hasn't been seen really that much is, is <laughs> take it, it and break it. Yeah. Take the stereotype, take, take this, this trope, this thing that has been done over and over again and break it. And then use breaking it to do something completely different. Yeah. And to take the characters in a different direction. Yeah. And apparently Angie wanted to be the one to to take action, which I guess my muse came up with because that was the whole point of things was, was trying to do it differently. Trying mm -hmm. to, you know, because the man is always, almost always the one that can't control himself, that has to make the first move, that, that is struggling to control himself, but he, he can't do it. And... I did have a little bit of that in Leaving Wanda Lucia, but then when you get to the second book, it's like I've mentioned in the last podcast, it's Angie, she's a fucking beast. <laughs> so it, it's just neat to, okay, well, what is always, and, and if your muse isn't helping you, just ask the muse, okay, well, what would every other, you know, sci-fi book do? What would every other romance do? What would every other, whatever genre you prefer to write in do here? And then, you know, flip it. Make it this genuine, just kind of human interaction. 
Right. Right. And it will make the story so much deeper, so much richer, so much more fun to write. You know, never mind so much more fun to read. If you are not stuck with these damn formulas and can jump in there and take them and break them and move in different directions and explore things that people haven't written yet, you're out there in new territory. You're doing something cool. You are doing something that is going to bring you readers who love what you read or what you write because they've never read it before. And it's, it's fresh and it's sharp and it's got passion to it and it ties into the story. It's not trivial. It's not flat. It's not everything everybody has ever seen forever. It's you and the best of what you can be as a writer brought into the best of what you can bring to your fiction. And, and romance has a place, the, the love between two characters. It, it, you know, it can be platonic. It can be sexual. It can be any gender, any, any anything. But it has to matter to the story outside of just these two people being into each other or three people or whatever you want to. Yeah. And yeah. In Medwin Song's case, it went up to nine. Her and nine. And yeah, so I actually ten. wrote that scene. So yeah. Ten people. Yeah. Her and nine guys that she didn't want to get rid of. <laughs> she was fond of her husband's. She was until she wasn't, and then she left and went to, to, to Eris. And in Eris, she found a really, really old guy who was totally wrong for her and fell completely in love with him. So and... is there anything else to add? <laughs> um, okay, well, we've got, yeah, the examples of romance in your own work. Well, um, yeah, we, I think we've covered that. Yeah, I think we actually have. So we, we sort of worked that in as we were going. Yeah. So basically what we have left is the takeaway then. Do you want to just jump on that? Yeah. All right. Um, there's always room for romance. Always. Any book can benefit from a relationship between two people who are important to each other. Sex without a good reason weakens the story. If you have a good reason to put it in there, if it is part of the story or part of the genre, you know, uh, with my suspense romances, I wrote some pretty dirty sex. And there's, it's some pretty hot stuff because that was part of the genre that I was writing. And it was a requirement of the genre that there be that kind of sex well, maybe, you know, I, I went a little overboard occasionally. That kind of sex in that kind of book. Okay, <laughs> Becky's just dying on the other side. Like, this is hilarious. <laughs> she is blushing. It's awesome. Well, you know it's how like often when I see her Matt blush? would grab your boob just to, just to freak <laughs> us out. And we would go, ew, stop. It's okay. Now I'm blushing. There no, we actually, go. Actually, that was in retaliation for us, like, because you guys would kiss or say something, uh -huh. and we were like, ew. And then he mm -hmm. was like, all right, I'll give you something to say ooh about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, it did cut down on the commentary from the peanut gallery. Yeah. Yeah, I was grateful for that. <laughs> a couple of ep de demonstrations of that, and that ended it oh. right there. <laughs> kind of like him taking your door. He had some really good solutions for problems. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> 
Anyway, sex without a good reason weakens the story. If you have a good reason, then you put it in, you put it in the way you want to write it, and you deal with the consequences. Uh, um, one second. I just want to clarify. He took my door because I slammed it. <laughs> and he told you not to, mm-hmm. and you went back and slammed it again. Yep. So he goes stomping down the hall with a screwdriver and removes the door and stomps back down the hall in the other direction <laughs> And puts the door in our bedroom and says, you can have it back when you... Earn it back. Yeah, you can earn it back. Yeah. And then we hung up a towel over your doorway. No, I hung up a towel. You hung up a towel. Yeah, okay. I knew there was a towel over your doorway for a while. And it's really fucking difficult to slam a towel. Yeah, you can't slam a towel. (laughs) I was like, can I have my door back? Not yet. You had a friend come over and saw the towel, and you had to explain the towel. And I think it was after that, after you had had to deal with the consequences in the real world mm-hmm. of <clears throat> not having a door and having to explain why you didn't have a door, that you finally got your door back. Yeah, pretty much. And then um, the one time I slammed it as a teenager in the other place, he he did not bother me about that because he knew he, he had made a mistake <laughs> in our <laughs> conversation. And then he heard me grumbling and talking and bitching and stuff on the inside. And he's like, oh, boy. I think he worried that I was going to come and kill you guys in your sleep. <laughs> I was I was really pissed because he thought I smoked pot and I didn't smoke pot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So then he was like, okay, I believe you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, parenting. It's yeah. And then he explained and, why he was so mad and stuff, which, you know, I understood. I get it. But like, I was a goody two shoes at that point. I'd been honest and I had stopped my pathological lying. And I mean, I had been great. So that really bothered me. But then, then I got the trust that I deserved and I kept mm-hmm. my door. It was a win-win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's <laughs> a little, to little off topic there, but no. I just wanted but, to explain because we're talking about sex and romance and stuff, and then you say you took my door, and it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Let's just clarify <laughs> that your husband did the right thing for yeah, good reason. No, it was it was an educational experience. There's this young guy who was dealing with kids who were only twelve and ten years older than twelve and fourteen years. No, younger than eleven he was. and. Oh, yeah, yeah, 12 and 14, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he never had to deal with kids before and married a woman and got two preteens immediately. Yeah, who who were pretty beaten up from yeah. their actual father and from yeah. everything that happened after that. And, yeah, including the ex-husbands, both of yeah. them, and it was just life had been fucking hard. So mm-hmm. he had a lot to deal with. He yeah. had a and lot to deal with. He, he did. He did. And he, he he stuck with us. I don't know how he did it, but he did. Because <laughs> those first years were tough. Anyway, anyway, back to the topic. So you, let's see. Oh, yes, the last one. You write the story that you love. You write it so that you love it. You put into it what you have to have in there to make it matter to you. And you don't worry about whether it fits a genre, whether it fits a kind of novel. Um, You might have to indie publish it if you are way outside of um, the formula romances that are commercially acceptable. Uh, or if you are uh, doing what I'm doing, you know, with the wild gender bending and all of the different things that I have in mind, um, you might have to uh, 
publish these yourself because um, commercial publishers are traditional. Well, you're also looking at this from somebody who hasn't done any commercial romance, you know, publication in a while. Now, I don't know about other genres, but there is and has been for a little while um, a movement to include more genders, more sexual orientations, um, including more than than one person. Even even Harlequin alone has different series. And there's okay, well, yeah, I I stopped reading the genre years ago. So yeah, there are more traditional publishers out there in the world that are starting to accept a very wide variety of romance, sexual orientations, genders, all of that. So it's. You know, it's not just limited to romance, but for the most part, that's where a lot of it is. So it's, I mean, Harlequin has sections for male-male, female-female now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that the publishers are starting to get with the times a little bit. Yeah. So definitely check first. Yeah, there is. Right, exactly. If you want to publish commercially, check and see if this is something that will go into what you want to do, whatever that might be. Okay, and that's what I've got. You know, that finally, that it, it's just make it, make it matter to yourself first because what you put out there is going to attract the kind of people who like what you like and who will want to read more of what you write, whatever that might be. And to connect with your audience, you have to first be honest with yourself. And that was our episode on how to write sex and fiction in any genre. And I hope you guys liked it and got a lot from it because I don't want to have to broach this topic again if possible. (laughs) I clearly did not think this through. Um, So yeah, anyway, the, if you do have any questions, um, any ideas for follow-up piece for this, if we didn't cover everything, you can either leave it on our blog, which is alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. Or you can join in on the conversation and hopefully we can answer your questions in the forum and not have to do this again. That is <laughs> hollyswritingclasses.com. You can create a completely 100% free account. You don't have to buy anything or own any courses. You do get the How to Write Flash Fiction That Does Not Suck, a three-week free course. And it, it is not just about writing flash fiction. It actually gives you a lot of great tips for fiction in general. And you get that when you join. You can come into our podcast forums, which is called Our Podcast, Alone in a Room with Invisible People. And just look for this episode title and go ahead and join in. Give us some questions. Tell us, you know, your opinions, whatever you think, you know, is what's the irrelevant conflict that you've read? What are the bad parts of romance that you've read and you've fixed in your own work? Or did we point something out that you hadn't thought of? Just, you know join in the conversation. You can follow us on the socials at Twitter and Instagram. It is at A-I-A-R-W-I-P. And you can find us on Facebook at Alone in a Room with Invisible People. If you would like to support the Alone in a Room with Invisible People podcast, you have two options. You can donate on a one-time or whenever you want basis. That is at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. On the top right, there is a drop-down menu that gives you three different options, and we really, really appreciate the support. If you would like to and are financially able to, you can support us on our Patreon page. That is AIA 
R-W-I-P, or just search the hashtag Alone with Invisible People. If you would like to support Holly in everything that she does or anything in particular, we have several different options. If you go to hollyswritingclasses.com, you can take a look at all of the courses she has written. There's some really great ones like um, how to beat writer's block, how to kind of teach yourself writer's discipline, to something that is more detailed. Like if you're having problems with a plot, she has the plot clinic. She has how to write a novel, which is what she's currently working on now. She has something about how to write, how to think sideways. This is a really cool course that kind of helps you kind of figure out different ways to put different things in your books and and how to kind of have a little bit more imagination and, and have your muse talk to you and and shut the inner critic up. <laughs> she also has how to write page turning scenes. So if you have really great plots and stuff, you can take a look at how to write those scenes tighter and better. And then she also has dialogue in sub subtext in dialogue, which is also a really good course about how to make your dialogue mean more than just what's said. You can go through, take a look and join any of the courses that you think would be helpful for you. There is another way to support her. You can buy her fiction it's pretty much on anything. I think it's like Amazon, Smashwords, Barnes and Noble, uh, any of the other places? Uh, Kobo. Um, there's uh, just a bunch of all of the places that I can use by using draft to digital uh, so there are a lot of places. That's, great. that's, that's, yeah, I didn't even think about that draft to digital. Um, and then the last way, if you are a writer and would like to support her Patreon or a reader, and you get to see firsthand a lot of her raw, you know, first draft stuff, including the, you know, video of her writing part of it, that is Holly Lyle on patreon.com. And she has three tiers as well. And just to let you guys know, all of these links are available on the blog that is alonewithinvisiblepeople.com on every single episode show notes that we put in. If you scroll down a little bit further, all of our links are available there. You can also email us at show at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. So that should be it. I believe we've covered everything. And again, if you have any questions, go ahead and message us on the boards, on our blog, or through email. And know that the community at hollyswritingclasses.com is very safe. It's very supportive of everyone in their writing efforts. And we look forward to seeing you there. All right. So remember that the important thing about this is to figure out why the romance matters in the story that you want to tell, and then make sure that you make it matter to you. And kick ass. And now, a word from our sponsor. You want to write, you love words, you love fiction, but you don't know where to start, or how to middle, or where to finish. I do. I'm Holly Lyle, and I've been doing this professionally since 1991. And I know how I did what I did to go pro, and I'll be happy to show you what I've learned. Start with my free three-week flash fiction class at hollyswritingclasses.com.